0: Is your Parkinson's patient a candidate for deep brain stimulation? Welcome to UF Health Med Edcast with UF Health Shands Hospital. In this panel discussion today, we have Dr. Michael Oken. He's a University of Florida Chair of Neurology, Executive Director of the Norman Fixell Institute for Neurological Diseases at UF Health, and a Professor at UF. And Dr. Kelly Foote. He's the Co-Director of the Norman Fixell Institute for Neurological Diseases at UF Health. Gentlemen, I'm so glad to have you join us today. Dr. Oaken, I'd like to start with you. What is usually the first-line treatment for tremors resulting from movement disorders, such as Parkinson's?
1: Well, when we see patients who come to us and they have issues with shaking or with difficulty picking up objects or doing the types of things that they, they need to do to button buttons and handwrite and all the things you need to do you know, to just get through your everyday life, uh, we typically will do a full evaluation and look to see if there's anything we can do with adding a medication. Uh, We want to see what type of tremor it is. There's actually a whole bunch of different subtypes of tremor. So not all tremor is one thing. And so we want to make sure we get the diagnosis right. And once we're sure we know what we're dealing with, we have a number of different medicines that we can try. And we always want to try medications. And if there are some behavioral treatments and some exercises and some things that might help that tremor as well, we'll also prescribe those.
0: Dr. Foote, based on what Dr. Oken just said, if your patient has not seen positive effects from medication, for other providers, other neurologists that are dealing with patients with Parkinson's, give us some of the clinical indications for use of deep brain stimulation. Uh, well, uh, you, you've sort of uh, alluded to uh, the issue there.
2: Uh, when the medications are not solving the problem... Uh, for for appropriately selected patients, uh, surgical intervention can actually be uh, very helpful. Um, and in the case of, of tremor, uh, as, as you brought up before, you know, if it's a it's a essential tremor, uh, which is very common uh, and and not to be confused with Parkinson's disease, which is a more complex problem that frequently involves tremor. Um, either of those two uh, problems. Uh, can be addressed very effectively with deep brain stimulation.
0: Dr. Oaken, tell us a little bit about it. What are some of the advantages and what are some of the risks? Well, so when we
1: think about should we proceed, you know, with a surgical uh, intervention for any individual patient, what we want to do is we want to meet with that patient and that family member and we want to be sure that we understand everything it is that will make their life better and what are the reasons that we may want to do a surgery? I mean, even though we do this surgery through a tiny burr hole, and we use a lot of computers and fancy devices, it's still a risk to Pass a, a probe into the brain and to try to stimulate through that that uh, that probe and and change the the way in which a lot of these brain regions are talking to each other. And so the first step is is having that conversation with the patient and with the family about expectations and what is it that you want to improve. Is it Tremor is it stiffness is it slowness and so we try to create that um, that nice interaction where we can both be speaking the same language and then. Once we've done the first evaluation, and usually patients see a neurologist if they're being operated for neurological disorder, or a psychiatrist if it's a a psychiatric disorder or neuropsychiatric disorder, then we proceed with what is called a multidisciplinary workup. And so that's where a neurologist and a neurosurgeon and a psychiatrist and all the rehab specialists, like physical therapists, occupational therapists, and speech and swallow therapists, as well as social workers and nutritionists meet with the patient. And then we do something that might sound a little unconventional, and that's that we talk behind the patient's back. And the best type of healthcare that you can hope for in the modern system is when a group of doctors and professionals and healthcare professionals get together and they're actually talking about you. And then once we do that, we can establish what might be the best approach, whether surgery is the right approach for the patient, have we tried everything, and then if we're going to do surgery, then we want to have that discussion about, do you need it on one side of your brain or on two, what brain target might be the best for your individual symptoms, and then getting all the way back to that first question, what are your expectations, and what expectations based on our experience, so at UF Health Shands Hospital, we've done over 2,000 leads. And so we have a lot of experience, and so we can draw on that to try to give patients a sense of what may or may not get better with the operation.
2: I would I would add, from a neurosurgeon's perspective, that um, I approach this as a risk benefit analysis, and you know you might uh, be surprised that the, the decision making process for deep brain stimulation is much more complex than that, say, for a patient who comes to me with a brain tumor. Um, even though the brain tumor in, is typically a much worse problem to deal with and uh, the operation that you propose carries a substantially higher risk than deep brain stimulation, the decision-making is relatively straightforward because that is an urgent or emergent uh, operation. and. And deep brain stimulation is sort of special in that it is an elective brain surgery. Now some might argue that elective brain surgery shouldn't exist <laughs> because anytime you do brain surgery there is the potential for an injury to the brain and and of course an injury to the brain could leave you with new problems that may or may not be worse than the problems you came in with. So we take that very seriously and and that's what all this infrastructure uh, is about that we've uh, developed at, at UF Health Shands Hospital. Uh, and, and the team approach that that uh, Dr. Oaken described takes some of the pressure off of me in this decision-making process. Um, what he, I really like the way he said, you know, what are your expectations? I actually, with every single patient, uh, when I first meet them, I talk to them about, you know, what affects your quality of life And they make a list for me uh, in order of importance to them. You know, these are the symptoms that most impair my quality of life in order of importance to me. And then, based on our experiences with, you know, a couple thousand people before them, uh, we can give them uh, realistic expectations and say, look, this first thing on your list. I think is very likely to respond well to, an, to surgery and we've, we've found a way to do this operation that addresses that quite nicely. Um, but, but perhaps this second thing on your list, I can tell you right now that never gets better and you should know up front that that particular symptom is not something that we've figured out a way to solve. Uh, the third and fourth things on your list, I'm pretty confident, the fifth thing on your list You know, uh, sometimes it gets better and sometimes it doesn't. And we don't fully understand how to make that happen every time. Uh, But at least once we've finished this conversation, the patients can have very realistic expectations about, you know, what we can hope to achieve with, with this intervention.
0: Well, it certainly is a comprehensive, multidisciplinary evaluation. And as you say, patient selection criteria is so important for this. Dr. Foote, speak a little bit about the device programming itself. How does it work? And tell us a little bit about the surgeon and the movement disorder specialist experience with this procedure. Uh, Well, uh, the
2: the devices uh, involve... Uh, the implantation of, in general, a a single wire with multiple uh, metal contacts that uh, make contact with the part of the brain that we hope to stimulate in order to uh, uh, address the patient's symptoms and, uh, as you might imagine, the position Uh, in the brain that we stimulate anatomically determines the effect um, and the success or failure of the operation is completely dependent on delivering the electrical current exactly where we want to deliver it uh, and perhaps just as importantly not delivering electrical current to uh, uh, other structures uh, or other circuitry surrounding the circuitry that we, we know we can stimulate for the patient's benefit so a big part of this operation uh, is uh, an investment in making sure that the DBS lead and those electrical contacts end up exactly where they need to be to help the symptoms. If they're a couple of millimeters in one direction or the other, then you may get uh, stimulation-induced side effects that are intolerable uh, instead of the uh, you know relief from your tremor or in the case of Parkinson's disease suppression of your dyskinesia or uh, relief from stiffness and slowness and muscle cramping um, so getting the DBS lead in, in precisely the right position and then programming to uh, adjust where that current is going and how powerfully it gets there uh, is, is the process that we use to uh, deliver therapeutic stimulation and have, you know, what
0: can be really dramatic effects on people's uh, symptoms and quality of life. Well, thank you for that answer. Dr. Oaken, how have been your outcomes? Have you seen sustained improvement in motor function and, and a reduction maybe in anti-Parkinsonian medication? Has that been stable? Have you seen any adverse effects of treatments? Tell us a little bit about your outcomes.
1: So, I think one of the most important lessons of running a a really high-quality deep brain stimulation program is making sure that you have both the right preoperative screening that you do the procedure in a very careful way because the real estate in the brain matters. so it matters whether you're a millimeter or two off can be like the distance between florida and california and so it's really important to get the leads in the right place but then maybe most important is to make sure you have the right team in place to follow the patients and so the follow-up of these patients includes not only programming the device and so everybody thinks about okay you have this really fancy device that you've implanted. It's going to be all about programming. But a lot of these patients have diseases like Parkinson's disease. And so long term, it's not just the programming of the device, but it's also management of the medications. Now when the procedure is done and it's successful, which in most cases it is, and in fact in almost all cases it should be successful with low side effects and that's part of the interdisciplinary screening process, so part of the process of seeing all these people from different disciplines and assessing the risk and making sure that you're taking the right approach and you have the right follow-up for patients ensures that you're going to have success in most of these cases. Now, can you get side effects and can you get uh, complications from deep brain stimulation you certainly can and the ones that we worry the most about are bleeds or strokes because remember we're might be pushing through a brain region and accidentally or unintentionally hit something that we don't want to hit and we uh, worry about infection because we're putting a device into somebody and that device doesn't have a blood supply so if maybe a little bit of dirt gets on that device or a little bit of bacteria gets on there. We don't have the blood supply that even if we take antibiotics, we can clear that. And so those are two of the things that happen less than 5% of the time, so usually a few percent of the time in most uh, major centers that do a lot of these procedures. And so we watch out for that. Now, in terms of motor benefits, it can be life-changing. So if you're a Parkinson patient, it might capture your tremor. And so it's very good with tremor. It's very good for another movement disorder called dyskinesia, which are these extra dance-like movements that you get from taking dopamine replacement therapy called levodopa. It's very effective at suppressing those extra movements. It also improves the uh, quality of life by doing things like reducing the amount of stiffness that you have and improving your speed of movement or your slowness of of movement that happens with Parkinson. And so you get to be faster, and so you can do your, your activities of daily living in a faster way that you, you couldn't do before because the movement was was so slow and so labored. And then many of our Parkinson patients, the meds are wearing off after a few hours and coming back on. And so we call these fluctuations where the meds are wearing off. And then as they wear off, you get tremor, stiffness, and slowness. And so you can imagine going through cycles of being on your meds and off your meds. And one of the great things about deep brain stimulation is it really does smooth out those on-off fluctuations. And so, in summary, we think about improvements in tremor. We think about improvements in that other movement disorder caused by the medicines called dyskinesia and then stiffness and slowness improve and then these fluctuations that go up and down that can really make life difficult for patients and then finally the other thing is 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 that some patients but not all will also have a
2: reduction in the medications that they take I would add that you know one, one sort of nice way to think about it is that deep brain stimulation does not cure Parkinson's disease Uh, It doesn't even necessarily make someone dramatically better than they are when they're at their best on their medications, Uh, but what it does quite nicely is get people at or near their best level of functioning and keep them there much more of the time, Uh, so alleviating those motor fluctuations is one of the main indications for deep brain stimulation. And in, in most cases, uh, as Parkinson's disease progresses, it becomes increasingly difficult, even for very good uh, movement disorder specialists, to adjust the medications well enough to avoid those motor fluctuations because it gets more, it gets more and more difficult as the disease progresses. Uh, and so at some point, deep brain stimulation uh, can have a beneficial effect in that regard.
0: Dr. Foote, before we conclude this episode, tell us about some promising new therapies in regards to tremors and deep brain stimulation for other providers. Let them know what's exciting in your field of neurosurgery and why you think it's important that they refer to the specialists at UF Health Shands Hospital. Well, uh, there are a
2: couple of uh, different directions I could go with your question, um, uh, the question about why I think it's important to send patients to a place like UF Health Shands Hospital uh, has to do with uh, the specialization that is is very effective. Um, you know, we we talked about that interdisciplinary team approach, and I, I think uh, until you see it in action, it's hard to appreciate how important that can be. Uh, in making sure we get the optimal outcome, uh, you know we have eight different specialists with very with with various uh, areas of expertise who are all let 's say we 're dealing with a parkinson patient e- each of these specialists is a parkinson 's expert, but they might be a physical therapist or an occupational therapist or a psychiatrist uh, or a neuropsychologist, but all of these folks are focused on Parkinson's disease and know all the nuances of Parkinson's disease within their area of expertise. So they're Parkinson's specialists, but just as importantly, they're also deep brain stimulation specialists. And each one of them has evaluated hundreds of patients before and after deep brain stimulation and they have this wealth of understanding that they can share with me as we're making decisions. And, you know, for, let me give you an example just to illustrate what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, perhaps the, the Parkinson specialist who is a speech pathologist, who, who focuses on speech and swallowing, um, does her evaluation at, on, of a patient prior to surgery and says, you know what, this patient uh... is is aspirating they have a, a dysfunctional swallow and they don't even realize that some of their food is getting into their lungs and they're at high risk for getting pneumonia And you know one of the possible uh... temporary side effects of deep brain stimulation uh... just from a little swelling in the brain around the dbs the implanted dbs lead is that it can uh... it can impair your swallowing function temporarily and so If we know that in advance, um, then the the speech pathologist might in our meeting when we're talking about this patient's case say hey you know what this patient has this issue and in my experience with other patients like this when we've done it when we've done the deep brain stimulation operation this way you know when you stimulate in this target it turns out better than when you stimulate in this target and it's a lower risk of having post-operative problems and by the way um, I think as a precaution immediately after the operation, I want you to call me and I will come evaluate this patient's swallowing function before you start giving the patient uh, something to eat and drink, just to make sure that we don't cause a pneumonia during the hospitalization. So that's one example, but I could give you 50 different examples of how this interdisciplinary approach can alter Uh, It's not just making the decision, should this patient have a DBS operation, but how should we do the operation for this specific patient in order to maximize the predicted benefit and to minimize all of the risks in all different domains. Uh, And that infrastructure, I think, is what makes a center like ours uh, special and, and, and allows us to, as Michael said, we expect essentially every patient who goes through this process of you know, careful patient selection and tailoring the operation to their given needs and their risks, we expect every patient to have a good outcome. And, and the patients who
0: have bad outcomes should be very few and far between. Dr. Oken, please conclude for us. What can a referring physician expect from your team after referral insofar as communication and your team approach? Just kind of summarize for
1: us. Yeah, so after a referral to UF Health Chance Hospital, uh, we consider ourselves to be partners with everyone. We see patients from every continent except for Antarctica. We haven't had a patient from there, but we've had patients from all over, and so our job is really to help to restore people's lives and to make things easier for the referring docs. And so if um, if they need some help in evaluating a patient for deep brain stimulation and going through the process, we're happy to provide that help. If the patient needs uh, surgery and would like to be managed back in his or her community whether that's locally regionally <laughs> across the pond you know meaning in europe or or uh, australia or somewhere else we we work with physicians all over the world and so our job is to really try to impact lives and and try to help people with symptoms that that can be modulated by this really cool and unique uh, therapy and the number of indications for the therapy keep growing and we do a lot of research too and so we're involved in a lot of uh, national institutes of health and other studies for you know other indications so not just parkinson and tremor but we operate on dystonia and obsessive compulsive disorder and tourette syndrome and so um, you know the expectation from our end is how can we help we're we're here to help the answer is always Yes, not everybody is a surgical candidate, but certainly if you um, can benefit from a surgery, we want to see what we can do to help you. And we also want to return you back to your communities and make it easy for management to happen there locally as well. And so, uh, so we've really enjoyed the partnership we've had with uh, various physicians and health practitioners all over the world.
0: Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. What a fascinating topic. Thank you so much for sharing your incredible expertise today. And that concludes today's episode of UF Health Med Edcast with UF Health Shands Hospital. To learn more about this and other health care topics at UF Health Shands Hospital, please visit ufhealth.org slash medmatters to get connected with one of our providers. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and all the other UF Health Shands Hospital podcasts. For more health tips and updates on the latest medical advancements and breakthroughs, please follow us on your social channels. I'm Melanie Cole.